Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back to another episode of the Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gallo, joined by my partner in crime, Harley Schultz. Harley, how's it going? Eh, not too bad. Uh, my back's a little stiff from work today, but uh, hopefully uh, this show goes through without me breaking out into a raging coughing spit. Yes, um, that, that would be a good thing if we could do that. I actually had a listener reach out and say, doesn't Harley have a mute button? I, I did. Um, I just was very delayed in finding it. Right, because we never need the mute button, and it's fine. We're human. Exactly. I mean, humans it, call. I, I thought maybe you'd break out like the, uh, like the buzzer sound or something like that to cover up the sound of me coughing over and over again. There you go. And I wasn't going to edit it out, so it is what it is. But hopefully, neither of us have any serious coughing fits, etc. Well, um, fortunately, my wife is close by tonight in case. Uh, it happens again. She can run and grab me a water really quickly. You then go. you'll just hear her traipsing across the apartment to the water. There you go. So, you know, I thought last week for our first week back, we, we weren't even in preseason form. I think we were in regular season form for the most part. Other than I didn't even pull a hamstring. Other than the coughing spell. Um, yes. Maybe that's what caused your back to hurt a little bit this week. Um, so, but basically, I sent out a teaser on Twitter earlier this week. And the thing to do would be to tease that teaser and keep people listening all the way to the end, right? Exactly. But I said, I believe I said, no, I'm going to give it away first and foremost when we get started. So then they could decide if they still want to listen or not. So before we get anywhere near the news or anywhere else, what we're going to talk about tonight to tell people all that stuff, we're going to say, first question I have to you before I admit what I did, because I believe I committed the biggest draft blunder slash self-own in the history of drafts. Well, I know Thursday. I've made a few uh, blunders myself over the years, uh, including drafting a kicker uh, at a live draft in, in a kicker mandatory league. Well, on the TV directly behind me, the coach is just screaming and yelling at the kicker on the sidelines because he had just missed the kick in a preseason game. And literally he was cut the next morning. And, of course, he was my only kicker I drafted. Okay. Anything worse than that? Because that's nothing. That's not even like well, a I, scratch. I mean, every year you've got those times where you've got players with the same name. Like, you accidentally you go to click for Adrian Peterson, Minnesota running back, and you end up with Adrian Peterson, Chicago Bears running back. Or you, you, you go to select uh, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas, and you end up with Los Angeles Rams wide receiver Mike Thomas instead just because you either slipped on the click or, I mean – in the poker world, we call it a misclick. Uh, 
you can't really take it back on your computer. But I mean, obviously, if you're doing it live, it's even more embarrassing, particularly if you're surrounded by a bunch of your friends. Yeah, but even that, I mean, we're all human with that. I mean, that's an error that anybody could make getting the names mixed up and not realizing it, right? Because we're always fast-paced world, right? Microwave society, what have you done for me lately? Oh, yeah, give me Mike Thomas. Oh, that, damn it, that was the wrong one. Um, no, I think mine's bigger than that. I- I'll tell you what I did. What did you do? It was an auction draft. Mm-hmm. I upped my own high bid. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Multiple times. Oh, no. Possibly. Was this on the computer or was this live? This was on the computer. It would have never happened live. Mm-hmm. Possibly as many as 10 plus times. I was looking, Ouch. I was looking, <laughs> I was looking at the screen and Christian McCaffrey was who the bid was on. And we were around, I don't know, $40, $45 maybe when I started in. And I looked and I was like, I did the plus one because you hit plus one. If you're on MFL, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Yep. I'm hitting plus one. You guys one. have Shouty calling out your player auction you, bids too? I, I can't take Shouty. I think I use David. Ah. Got not, okay. not Not David Dory, of course. No, but, of course not. Yeah, sh- Shouty. Everyone loves Shouty. Yeah, um, plus one. Plus one. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know if that's good or not, but anyway. That was actually pretty good. Um, so McCaffrey's up. Let's just call it 45. $48, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Call it $49. Call it fit, whatever. That's what you were apparently doing. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you look at it on MFL, it shows the player that's nominated, and then it shows the, the, the team that nominated them, then the mm-hmm. price, and then the high bidder is at the bottom. I looked, <laughs> I looked at it wrong. So as I'm hitting plus one, I see that my bid isn't taking because I still see the huddle as the bidder, right? Yep. And I'm the Blitz podcast for what it's worth. So I hit it again. <laughs> and I hit it again, and I hit it again, and again, and again. I honestly don't know if I hit it five times. I hit it at least four to five times. Or if I hit it 10 to 12 times. He ended up at $49. I'm sorry, at $59. I was the high bidder. Oh. That's, that's still a decent price for him, but yeah, it's it was, painful to... It was a decent price for him, um, but the fact stands that I think I cost myself somewhere probably in the neighborhood of 10 to $12. Well, and I, I admit personally, in live auction formats, I've done that to kind of try to own the room, basically do it on purpose, like put out a bid for, say, uh, $15 on someone that's like... Ah, screw it. I'll bid. I'll bid eighteen dollars. Just to, we'll yeah. start it. I mean, again, something like that. I mean, again, trying to like just show the room that no, I'm getting this guy. Right, and but you're probably expecting him to go twenty to twenty five minimum. Exactly. Right? So that's okay. <laughs> but when you're at fifty already on McCaffrey, okay. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor went for fifty two. Yeah, it does. Justin, I like fifty two better for that. Although that does bring up an important topic for people who may be having their auction for the first time this year. And not to segue too far away from your uh, commentary on that, but I always like to tell people when you go into an auction for the first time, or even even if you're a veteran auction player, uh, the concept of cold room theory is a real thing. You can oftentimes get players uh, at a slight discount in the first couple uh, rounds of nominations, so to speak, because people are a little afraid to spend their money early on. 
And what happens is, say someone got Jonathan Taylor for $52 in in the first round of nominations, and McCaffrey didn't get brought up until like the third round, uh, inevitably McCaffrey's price tag is going to be higher than Taylor's just because people perceive that there's fewer uh, high-end elite players to bid on at that point. So uh, the, if you want to get a really great deal on a player in an auction environment, and again, whether you're a veteran of them or not, buy early. You'll always get a deal that way. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not what happened with this one, though, um, because I believe that Taylor was the first bid thrown out, I think. Let me see. Let's see if I can get this to tell me this. I know Dearness Johnson was the last. It's not going to tell me, so I'm going to just have to go to the bottom. We'll go backwards. So Taylor was actually the first person out the gate, and then somebody nominated McCaffrey second. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just – so will you agree with me that's possibly – probably – should be the biggest draft self-own ever. Totally. Yeah. I, I can't imagine there being a worse one rather than bidding yourself up unintentionally. But uh, another lesson for future auction players there is make sure you're not bidding against yourself. Yes. Learn, learn where the where the high bidder is versus the nominator. Honestly, I think that whoever nominated shouldn't even be on there once they're nominated, right? Because it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. That but... Uh, an additional point to think about, too, is if you're entering an auction, again, for the first time, or if you're a veteran, if the first player brings up Jonathan Taylor and he goes for $52, the second player to nominate someone should inevitably nominate Naheem Hines and make that guy spend another 10 bucks before he's ready to. Yes, that's a very good strategy. Um, the third person that was nominated in our draft was the San Francisco 49ers defense. That's an example of the uh, cold room thing there. Someone's trying to get a defense for maybe two bucks instead of five bucks like they might go for a little bit later. And they got them for two bucks. That is true. There you go. Um, I want to say I nominated. Let me see if I can find it here. Let's see. Uh, where is he? Maybe it wasn't in the first round. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. No, I nominated Saquon. It might have been the second round, I believe. I nominated Deshaun Watson for a buck. Now, that's an interesting player, uh, being that he obviously isn't going to play this year until week 11. And obviously his extracurricular activities uh, may cause him to be a firebrand of a player to choose whether you want to have him on your roster or not. That said, your wife is also a big Browns fan, right? Yes, she's not happy with the signing, though. Anyway, okay. let's stop. I was going to say, did that affect the... <laughs> let's, let's actually stop. All I need you to say is, yes, biggest draft cell phone or not, and then we're going to move on to the rest of the show. We'll talk about the auctions later. Yes, biggest, biggest draft cell phone, def definitely. Okay, that's a good badge to wear, I guess. Not really. Anyway, for our listeners, there you go. No teaser, you've got it. I've got the biggest draft cell phone ever. Feel free to hit Harley and up, I up with some of the biggest cell phones or snafus, et cetera, in your auction drafts or drafts in general that have happened over the years on Twitter if you want. Exactly. This week, what we are going to get into is no DFS yet. We're going to hit on our top 12 wide receivers and our top 12 tight ends, and then we are going to talk a little bit more about that auction draft and anything else ADP-wise or draft-wise that Harley wants to discuss. But before any of that can happen, I have to throw it over to Mr. Schultz for this week's Blitz Podcast News. Thank you, Steve. 
The Dallas Cowboys have made it clear that they are not interested in signing free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. This comes on the heels of Brown being quoted as, Tell Jerry Jones to call me. Upon hearing this news, Brown decided to attempt to call Jones himself, but the phone number he had been given had been disconnected. <laughs> With Matt Carell being lost for the season due to injury, and Sam Darnold being, well, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield was officially named the Carolina Panthers starting quarterback for 2022. Baker has already endeared himself to the Carolina faithful, going so far as to get Sir Purr a discount on his litter box insurance with Progressive. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this before, but Michael Thomas is injured. No, not Mike Thomas, Michael Thomas. And once again, there is no clear timetable for his return. I swear, I would turn this into a drinking game, but even my pruny old liver couldn't handle it. <laughs> the NFL and Deshaun Watson's legal team have come to an agreement on a settlement including a $5 million fine and an 11-game suspension. With 11 weeks away from his new team, I have to assume that Watson can finally find himself a masseuse that he can see more than once before she sues him. <laughs> And finally, Tom Brady returns to the Buccaneers practice facility on Monday, coincidentally coinciding with the completion of Fox Television's filming of the reality TV show, The Masked Singer. Several analysts on Twitter have speculated as to Brady's participation in the show, and this will surely gin up their takes. We should all know for certain when Nick Cannon introduces this season's cast, including a character known as the deflated football. <laughs> This has been your BPN News Update. Hey, not bad. Um, I made one note so I don't forget to mention this. Michael Thomas, something I read on Twitter the, the other day. Can't tell you who, who was the one that tweeted it. Sorry about that. Fun fact, not so fun fact possibly if you own him in Dynasty. Since the pandemic started, Michael Thomas has not caught a touchdown. Has he caught a pass? No, he has not. There you go. Has he been targeted? Doubtful. <laughs> yeah that's i mean think about it we're almost two and a half years in now mm -hmm. um no definitely a touchdown not sure about pass though well and, and technically then because mike thomas did suit up for the bengals a couple times last season mike thomas has more games played since the pandemic than michael thomas has so if you actually nominated michael thomas could you say that it was a mistake and you actually meant, meant to nominate um mike thomas instead well, Mike Thomas won an AFC title last year, so why not? There you go. Let's see. Michael Thomas. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. When was the last game that he played? Going to find That's out. That's like, like week three of 2019. No, week three of 2020, maybe? He played all in 2020? He did play in 2020. Mm -hmm. He played seven games. Oh, is that many? It, it didn't feel like it was that many. I, I actually owned him that year. I drafted him in like the third round. And it was absolute waste of a third round pick when he got hurt. And yeah, Again, it, it was it was crazy because it was, it was always like it was a soft tissue thing. And it's like he might miss three games. And three games comes away. He might miss another three games. And it's like, oh, there's a good chance he's going to miss like right up until the playoffs. But if you've if you're got playoffs in week 14, 15, 16, you'll have him back for that. And then it's like. Week 14 comes around, it's like, nope, we're putting him on IR. So the answer is that he did have catches and targets since the pandemic started, but no, he has not had any touchdowns. Yeah. 
He had so he, he, had, he probably caught COVID more times than a touchdown during that span. That's very likely. Um, he's got 40 receptions in 2020 for 438 yards, zero touchdowns on 55 targets. So it, what you're saying then is last season and the season, well, all of last season, both of us had as many catches as Michael Thomas. Yep, many touchdowns too. Hopefully not as many cases of COVID as he had. I definitely have not had any, so I probably I, I can say that I probably have better than him on that one. Exactly. Well, you get, give yourself a point for that, Steve. There you go. Hey, we, <laughs> we've been diligent. We've got a very um, elderly and high at high risk mother-in-law that lives with us, so don't want me to be the reason something bad happens. Understandable. All right. Well, We're, so last week we covered – the top 12 running backs and quarterbacks based on their ADP. And uh, uh, this week we're going to do the same thing for our listeners with wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, I found this exercise to be much tougher than the quarterbacks and running backs. How about you? Um, yes, because when I look at ADP after I put my ranks together, I'm kind of close in some spots. And then others, I'm like, I feel like had I not known the ADP, I think I may have ranked them even a little bit lower. So I'll try to give an insight as to why I did the way I did and, and what pushed me up and down with a player or why I think maybe I should have been higher or lower on the player but wasn't. Um, well, and again, you, I think everyone that listens knows I'm a big fan of uh, playing multiple tight ends from a daily fantasy standpoint. Yeah. I think over the last couple of years that strategy has worked out fairly well because tight ends are always priced cheaper than the other players. And, and there's been a, a fairly decent dearth of relatively reliable tight ends and good situations for tight ends. Now this year, as I was putting together my top 12 tight ends, I'm thinking to myself from a redraft standpoint, there's only like six or seven six, of these guys. I six. really trust having as my starting tight end six for me. It's six. Honestly, yeah. um, the next six, I think you could make an argument to throw half of them out of the top 12 and another half in. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's blowing my mind. I mean, I, again, last year, it just felt like there were so many tight ends to choose from and, Again, when you when you play this, uh, if you if you're in a redraft and you don't take one of those top six tight ends or so, there's there's a legit argument that says, "Well, screw this. I'm just going to play the matchups each week and pick up who's ever a decent player available and yep. and not waste a, not waste a pick on the position." Well, let's let's start with tight ends then. Okay. Let's do our top three tight ends, and then we'll do the, the next three. How's that? Well, do you want to start with the ADPs first, if, if you've yeah. got those ahead? Yes. Do you want me to read just the top three first, or do you want me to go through the whole 12? Let's go through the whole 12. All right. We have who we, if you remember many years ago, possibly his rookie year, dubbed this guy Gronkowski. We have Travis Kelsey at number one. Mark Andrews, two. Kyle, is he really a wide receiver? Pitts at three. Darren Waller, four. Kittle, five. Schultz, six. Goddard, 7. TJ Hawkinson at 8. Zach Ertz at 9. Look at that. The Eagles have two top not top 10 tight ends. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Ertz is in Arizona now. Um, Dawson Knox at 10. And Mike Gusecki at 11. And Pat Freermuth at 12. You would be amazed to learn that I have, I believe, seven of the players in the same spot. Really? Yes. Let me see. What do I have? I don't, I'll be lucky if I have, I think, three. Actually, I may only have one. I have two. I've either got six or seven. You did read those a little fast, but yeah. I have three. Uh, I have four. I have five. There you go. I got five. Look at that. The more I look at it, the quicker it, 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 it all comes together. I have five. Well, 
I, let me start off by doing numbers one, two, and three because those three are all a match with what I've got. Okay. I've got Travis Kelsey at number one with uh, Tyree Kill moving on. Kelsey's going to need to take on even more of this offense, particularly in the red zone. And I think this is going to propel him back into the number one overall tight end slot. Now, I followed it up immediately with Mark Andrews, where I can say, well, with Marquise Brown moving on, Andrews will need to take on even more of this offense, especially in the red zone. And this should keep him in the conversation as the number one tight end. So you can kind of argue those guys as 1A, 1B. I like Kelsey a little bit more, obviously, because I'm a KC fan. Uh, also, I think that offense is just generally better than Baltimore's offense. And there's some question marks regarding Lamar Jackson and his contract. Uh, until that all gets settled out, there's always a chance that uh, Andrews could take a, a dip for that. And number three, I've got Kyle Pitts. It, it's really hard to imagine Atlanta having less skill position talent than they did last year. But it's true, they actually do. They, they have less talent than they had last year. Uh, so Pitts will continue his growth this season as there's really no one else reliable to throw the ball to there. Uh He's going to get you 100 catches. He's going to get you 1,000 yards. Let's just hope he gets more touchdowns than last year. So we are three for three. But now let me run through my thought process. I echo exactly what you said about Travis Kelsey. Hill gone. He's going to have to take a bigger role. I think that it, the offense runs around, through, and everything else in between with Kelsey. At number two, I wanted to have Kyle Pitts. And I did have Kyle Pitts, but then I switched him with Mark Andrews because of the same reason. Marquise Brown gone. Andrews is going to step up. I do think that, that we see um, Baltimore's second-year wide receiver take a step up also, but it's just it's safer because while you said there are no, tar- no other you know, offensive weapons for them to throw the ball to in Atlanta other than Kyle Pitts, my question is what is Mariota and Riddler going to do when they go to throw the ball? Are they going to be, are they going to be reliable enough? And that led me to the point where, you know what, I can't put Pitts at two. I won't be shocked if he's one or two this year, quite honestly. He adds five, six, seven touchdowns. It could be an easy thing for him. So, well, no, oh, I can't speak to Ritter's collegiate numbers, but if you look back to Marcus Mariota's time when he was a starter coming up with the Tennessee Titans, he actually did like to target his tight ends a lot during that span there. So, again, the offense obviously is not the same offense he had in Tennessee. Right. But uh, both Mariota and Ritter are mobile quarterbacks. So one would think that if they're moving around in the back of the pocket, they might find themselves in a situation where if Kyle Pitts keeps moving, they're going to have to dump the ball off to someone. He's probably going to be the most reliable option. Yeah. And, and did I say Riddler instead of Ritter? Yeah, you did. And I just laughed at it because I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. I, you <laughs> know what? I guess I have Batman on my mind. Um Anyway, okay, so we've got... What is, since his first name is Desmond, would his partner's name be Desmond Bain? There you go. Matt, you know what? What if we just started calling Pitts Bain? He is kind of Bain. Just stick that mask on him. He'd look really intimidating. He'd look like he belonged to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Yep. Or maybe the old school Oakland Raiders. There you go. Okay, so we're three for three. You know, last week we didn't say how many we think we're going to match on. We didn't do it this week either. We're not going to do it with wide receivers either. So we'll save that for our regular season times when we do our DFS stuff. Who do you have at three, at four, five, and six? Well, four, five, and six is when I finally started to sway a little bit away from the ADP. But my guys are kind of in that same range there where the, the names are the same. They're just in slightly different order. Number four, I bumped Dalton Schultz. Uh, Schultz will need to continue his growth now that Amari Cooper is gone in Dallas. Uh, he's also already he was the number six tight end in to- terms of total targets last year. I have to assume that number is going to go up some. 
Uh, number five, I've got George Kittle in San Francisco. Despite missing three early season games with an injury, which unfortunately in Kittle's case is all too common, uh, he still finished with over 900 receiving yards. Uh, Trey Lance, uh, as we talked a little bit about with uh, Ritter and Mariota, he's a mobile quarterback. Uh, he's definitely more mobile than the sandbag known as Jimmy Garoppolo, so expect Kittle to be his dump-off option there too. Uh, him and Debo Samuel should catch a lot of passes out of the backfield as Lance scrambles all over. And number six, uh, I think I'm one up on the ADP on that's Dallas Goddard. Uh, Goddard finally ditched Zach Ertz, and the results were uh, mediocre to say the best. The addition of A.J. Brown won't help propel Goddard's numbers any higher, but kind of like Kittle, he could see a boost as Jalen Hurts is forced to scramble around uh, and, and dump it off more, like, more than he would like to, I think. Interesting. Um, so I have Kittle at five, just like you do. At four, I have a guy that I had earlier in the season at three. I bumped him down the four. I could see bumping him to five or even six, honestly. Um, I've got Darren Waller at four. The addition of Devontae Adams makes me wonder how much is that going to siphon away? But is it going to come from Waller or is it going to come from... Oh, God, his name just... Er Hunter Renfro. Yeah, Hunter Renfro. Thank you. Just completely jumped out of my mind. Um, you know, or is it going to come from there? So Waller's probably risky being at four, somewhat. Um, but I've got Waller at four, and I have Kittle at five. At six, I don't have Dalton Schultz in my top six, and you have him at four, right? Yeah. Um, at six, I have TJ Hawkinson. No, nothing wrong with Hawkinson, who as really should be no surprise to people. He's my number seven. <laughs> okay. Now I can roll on into seven, eight, nine here. I guess. Uh, Absolutely. Seven. My my biggest issue with Hawkinson this year compared to last year. Last year, Detroit had T.J. Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown, and not a whole lot else. They've added so many receiving options to take away some of the stress on those two. Uh, I'm guessing his target share is going to go down some because of that. Obviously, he has the talent and size to cause huge matchup headaches opposing defenses who now have other players to actually guard besides him. Now I'm guessing you'll probably get a little less consistency from TJ this year, but we expect that he'll score more touchdowns this year uh, due to the open middle of the field when they get closer to the red zone at eight. I've got your Darren Waller. Now the Waller fall off started last season as early season injuries and Passes thrown directly at the numbers they couldn't seem to catch for some reason limited his overall production. I had at least four or five that I remember watching in one game. In one game, four or five balls hit him in the chest and watch him drop it. That really, really frustrated me. With Target Hogs, uh, Renfro, and Devontae Adams in front of him in the pecking order, you, you mentioned what will happen in terms of, like, will those guys lose stats because of this. Realistically, you have to look at the fact that the uh, Raiders – have also jettisoned Zay Jones and Brian Edwards from their team from last year. I think that those targets are going to end up going between Renfro and Adams. And Waller's targets aren't going to drop a whole lot. But the days of him being a top three tight end or even a top four tight end, I, I feel that they've passed him. He, he's still a tight end one. He's probably the one of the last two tight ends I I really kind of trust as my every, as my every week redraft guy. But Again, I've got him at eight. Uh, I, I could see six, seven, eight be fairly flexible there. Uh, at nine, I've got the last tight end that I really, truly feel comfortable about playing on a week-to-week -week basis, and that's Zach Ertz. 
You know, the move to the desert into a much more pass-happy offense was the fountain of youth for Zach. With DeAndre Hopkins missing the first part of the season, I expect Ertz to kind of take on the possession receiver role in that air raid offense. Between him and uh, A.J. Green doing that, well, Marquise Brown stretches the field. Uh, Ertz, I think, is in for a decent season this year. Obviously not as big as last season's numbers, but uh, again, he's the last tight end that I really, truly feel comfortable about week to week. Yep. So... At seven, I have Dalton Schultz. Uh, the The amount of points that are going to separate the four through seven probably not very big, honestly. Um, True. I know I'm probably too low on him. Just going to say that I know I'm probably too low on him, but I can't help but wonder how the loss of Amari Cooper is going to impact that that offense. And Michael Cooper, Michael Cooper, um, Michael Gallup, Michael Gallup coming back. You know, off of injury, how's he going to be? Is the rookie what's? It's just to me, there's just a lot of question marks there, and maybe that's what should push him up higher, right? Um, well, and, uh, what I actually I remember watching from last season is that the, during the games when Cooper was out, you really saw a bump up in usage for both Dalton Schultz and the now also gone Cedric Wilson. Those two are the, the primary beneficiaries, and what we what you'll probably hear me talk a little bit about when we get to the wide receivers is that. Lamb kind of struggled in those games without Cooper. So Yeah, and I was going to say, it's also slightly different when it's an in-season absence versus you know you're preparing your offense for the entire year without that person. Yeah. So um, at eight, I know I'm way too high on this guy, but I'm sorry. Um, I want you to tell me who else is going to see the targets or at least a large enough target share that's going to make me say why he doesn't have as much upside as anyone else in the league, and that's David Njoku. Crickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me, where are the targets going at wide receiver in Cleveland? Well, uh, Amari Cooper. Okay. Uh, now, and after, after uh, David Cooper, Bell. And, hold on. Uh, hold on. Let's <laughs> David Bell, the one that was running with the second team preseason. And I don't like to use preseason for much, but I expect Bell to, to get some targets. But is he going to get enough targets to really – depressed the value of a, a tight end that if you look at his measurables and you look at some of the performance he had well i, I think that what, what you'll see is the team will still use multiple two tight end sets with nyoku and uh, harrison bryant out on the field at the same time and yeah. they, they both cut into each other a little bit but in reality when they do go to a three wide personnel it'll be donovan peoples jones and cooper on the outside uh, at least for the start of the season with uh, bell doing most of his act active running out of the slot which is where he's probably best used because he's, he's going to be that type of guy that could be a productive uh, PPR receiver uh, going across the middle. He's not afraid to get hit over the middle. At least that's what his college tape suggests. So I, I don't mind David Bell there, and I certainly don't mind David Njoku, but again, I, he didn't make my top 12. Yeah, I didn't think he would. He doesn't make a lot of people's top 12. I'm really out on the limb with him. At number nine, I have Dallas Goddard. And, man, I could make an argument to make Goddard like – Push him up in that five six range, right? Mm-hmm. But that's pre AJ Brown. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we have to see Jalen Hurts take a step this year from a passing standpoint, and you know that they're go- they've invested in AJ Brown not to make him some kind of decoy, and they've got a great route runner in Devontae Smith. I mean, I-, I just can't help but wonder if what we saw from Goddard, which was kind of mediocre last year, wh- isn't what we see again this year. I just don't see as much upside. I absolutely agree, and that's just, he slipped all the way down to six in me, and I, I could easily see him sliding to seven or eight, too, again, if, if Waller doesn't have a bigger drop-off. 
Yeah. So there you go. My seven, eight, nine are Schultz and Joku, who nobody will have in their top twelve, and then Dallas Goddard. And say so some people might not have Joku in their top twenty-four, but no, I, I, I'd have him at like number sixteen or seventeen, I think overall on my on my list of tight ends. Yeah. Uh, rounding out my top twelve at tight end, uh, number ten is Dawson Knox. Uh, there are a lot of mouths to feed in Buffalo right now, and if you believe the rumors going around Twitter, it sounds like Odell Beckham may join the team later in the season. Uh, so there will be even more mouths to feed. Uh, but are, they have one of the top three quarterbacks in football, and they are decidedly a pass-forward team. Uh, Knox's big issue is he's highly touchdown dependent, yep. but he did score in seven different games last year, and the offense is still much more reliable than my number 11 tight end, which is Hunter Henry. Uh, Henry also scored in seven games last season, and New England's wide receiver core is still not very good. And in fact, their wide receiver core is much, 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 much worse than Buffalo's. But uh, it, 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 I'm expecting similar production this year, maybe like 600, 707 touchdowns. Just know that with Hunter Henry, he's, his weekly low floor is really, really low, and he's very touchdown dependent, not unlike Knox, uh, who I think has a slightly higher weekly floor and again, uh, it's a better offense to work in. And rounding out my top 12, I, I gave some cadence to possibly playing Pat Fryermuth here right now. But again, with so many weapons there, George Pickens is looking like an absolute stud this preseason. Uh, questions about the quarterback position. They still have Chase Claypool. They still have Deontay Johnson. So I'm leaving Fryermuth out of my top 12. And I'm going to go with another uh, tight end that's destined to maybe move up a few more degrees this year. And that's Cole Komet of Chicago. Komet actually leapt into the top 10 among tight ends and targets last season, but he failed to score a touchdown. But he did have five or more targets in 11 of his last 12 games once he got more comfortable with Justin Fields. Now, just like the other scrambling quarterbacks I've talked about already on this segment, I expect more dump-offs to Komet this year. But unlike Philadelphia and San Francisco with Lance and uh, Jalen Hurts, Komet is option two in this offense and not option three. Correct. So that said, um, you've got your, your 10, 11, and 12, right? You said it yep. was Knox, Henry. Knox, Henry, Komet. Komet. At number 10, I have Cole Komet. And it is because of that same reason where it's – who else are they going to throw the ball to there? And I know Darnell Mooney's a, a, a fantasy favorite with a lot of people in, in drafts right now. And, yeah, he may have a solid year. But, yeah, I do believe that at worst Komet's going to be – Option 1B, mm -hmm. right? Justin Fields has to be better. But even if he's not, I think Mets safe bet to finish in that top 12. Hey, I got him at 10. It's a little bit, you know, further up than what most people have him. People and, might be shocked to learn Komet had nearly 90 targets last year. Right, exactly. Um, and number 11, I've got a guy that most people probably have outside their top 15 also. But I definitely see him as an option number two. Actually, Two B, maybe three if you want to go there, but I think more of a two B. Um, it's Irv Smith. Um, I, as a Minnesota fan, he's hurt already again. <laughs> uh, I wish he could stay healthy because uh, he definitely has the talent to be a legitimate option. And it, it, players look back at Irv Smith's production uh, again two years ago. You, you look back around the time Michael Thomas decided to stop playing. Uh, Irv Smith, the second half of COVID year number one, really started to gel well with Kirk Cousins. Yep. Uh, obviously, they're bringing in a uh, Los Angeles Rams offensive uh, uh, mind behind their system with uh, 
Kevin O'Connell. And uh, they did use Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett a lot there. Uh, obviously, they still were third and fourth fiddles behind Cooper Cup and uh, like Robert Woods and then Odell Beckham last season. Uh, so, yeah, he'll, he'll get some usage. And again, if you're looking for a guy who can be somewhat reliable on a week-to-week basis, again, the big question with Irv is staying healthy and staying yeah. on the field. And that's what it comes down to. That's me expecting that he's going to have a healthy season. I think he's top 11, top 12. Mm-hmm. At 12, I struggle with who to put in the top 12. I do not have Pat Freermouth, Dawson Knox, Hunter Henry in my top 12. They're all right there. You could have made an argument to put them there. I went with a guy who I believe gets you off to a fast start. I don't know if he can sustain it, and that's Zach Ertz. Um, no DeAndre Hopkins to start the season I think is huge for him, and I think mm-hmm. he probably builds up enough points that he could be mediocre or worse for the next part of the season and probably still finish top 12 because we already know it doesn't take much to finish top 12 among tight ends. Well, I mean, he obviously gets some advantage in the uh – in training camp and also during the season practicing each week because we all know Arizona can't cover tight ends. So <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. Um, so that's what I have. I've got, um, Kmet, Irv and Ertz. Sounds like a law firm. Kmet, Irv and Ertz. <laughs> I was going to say they, they can take my money. It's better than better call Saul. Kmet, Irv and Ertz, the, uh, the law firm people need a call. Man, come on. Better call Saul. This is our first Monday without better call Saul. We're very disappointed in this household. Exactly. It was a great show. Uh, now, in, in our household, we were actually a little bit delayed on watching Saul and Breaking Bad. We oh, we God. finished up Breaking Bad a couple of seasons ago, uh, and then we immediately jumped right into Saul and uh, caught ourselves up with a lot of binging. And this season and last season, we were watching it live uh, with the with the regulars. So happy to say that we we've watched all of both, and they're both very very good series. Yep. Okay, so that way I don't have to worry about spoiling anything for you. All I can say this is uh, anyone that saw uh, Cinnabon's tweet uh, the morning after, they, they won the internet for the, the morning after the uh, series finale of Saul with their tweet. So just look it up if you want to on Twitter. I missed it. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I will have to look it up. I missed it. Okay, so let me give a rundown of my top 12, and I'll let you do it, and then we'll move to wide receivers. For me, it is Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Waller, Kittle, Hawkinson. Schultz, Njoku, Goddard, Komet, Irv, and Zach Ertz. And for me, I've got Travis Kelsey, Andrews, and Pitts at two and three. Schultz, Kittle, and Goddard at four, five, six. TJ Hawkinson at seven. Darren Waller at eight. Zach Ertz at nine. Dawson Knox at 10. Hunter Henry at 11. And Cole Komet at 12. And I didn't mention, but... The thing that kept Knox out of it from for me is there is a lot of talent there in Baltimore, Buffalo, and he does seem like he's a little more touchdown dependent. Just the loss of the two or three touchdowns here, there, and it could really push him right outside that top twelve. So anyway. exactly. All right, it's time to move to wide receiver. At wide receiver, we have Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. Debo Samuel, C.D. Lamb, Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, and Michael Pittman. I have two that match up exactly with them. And I have two on my list that did not make their list. (coughs) I have... 
It looks like I have one that matches up. And I I think I have two... One or two that weren't on their list. Start us off. Who's your top three? Okay. Well, my top three are their top three, just in a different order. I'm going to be Homer here and go with Justin Jefferson at number one. He was already on the verge of being a top five NFL wide receiver in just his second season. Now he's in a more pass-centric offense, including an architect of the offense to help turn Cooper Cup into a superstar. Oh, yeah. Plus, he's playing for his presumed upcoming contract extension this offseason. So, yeah, Justin Jefferson may approach 2,000 yards receiving and may approach 20 touchdowns this year. He is the only wide receiver that I would consider in my top five in a redraft league that wasn't, like, heavily weighted for receivers. Uh, Number two for me is Jamar Chase. As a rookie, Chase defied all the trends and blossomed into one of the league's best receivers early on. Simply put, his issue is he has more physical talent than any cornerback on any team in the league, even the most elite cornerbacks that could be assigned to cover him. We all saw last year what Baltimore tried to do and and watched Pro Bowl-level cornerbacks get absolutely abused by Chase. Uh, He's got T. Higgins on the other side of the field, so you can't really devote more than two guys to him at once. Again, Chase's ceiling is so high this year. Not quite Jefferson high, but quite high. Number three for me this time is Cooper Cup. Cup's PPR numbers realistically can only go down based on the ridiculous levels he's already achieved. The upgrade to Allen Robinson on the outside, I'm kind of torn on that. I'm not sure if that's going to be a boost or a hit to Cup's target share. I'm also, though, the main reason he's third on my list behind those two is I'm just a little more concerned about Matthew Stafford's elbow, despite all the reports saying that it's okay. Fair. That's very fair, quite honestly. Um, so for me, we match on JJ. I've got JJ number one. I've taken him as high as number three in a redraft league this year, and it was an expert league, I believe. I have no argument. He is he is the best option among the wide receivers if you want to go high on a wide receiver. Yep, I agree. Um, he's definitely top dog. Not that Cup isn't, not that Chase isn't, but it just, for me, there's far less questions. Right, You don't have the Stafford arm. You don't have the big play aspect of Chase. Like You hear people say, oh, it's very touchdown dependent. Chase was very big play dependent too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So for me, I do have Cup at two, though. Um, at number three, I do not have Jamar Chase. Oh. I have Devontae Adams. You don't invest what you invested in Adams, who some will say arguably is the best wide receiver in the game. And we're not talking just straight production. We're talking route running and the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Carr's not the best quarterback in the world, but he can sling it. So He's got, he's got a good arm. Yeah. I mean, I've, so I've got Adams at three. Um, I have Chase at four. I'll do, I'm sorry, I'll go four, five, six now. I have Chase at four. I almost made him five in favor of Diggs. Um, those, he had like, I don't know, I'm going to exaggerate here, but like 80% of his fantasy points came in like three or four games off of three or four big plays. Mm-hmm. And to me, maybe that's my way of saying don't target Chase, target T. Higgins um, because he's better value for you. But I've got Chase at four, Diggs at five, 
And then at six, I've got a guy that you probably don't have in your top 10. Maybe you do. Um, most people seem to very much underrate him, and he may be considered more touchdown dependent. But I've got Mike Evans at number six. Okay, well, interestingly enough, my four, five, and six, my four and five match the ADP. I've got Devontae at four. Now, it's really impossible for a wide receiver to leave an Aaron Rodgers offense and not lose value. Still, Adams may have just done that. He's got pre-born relationship with Derek Carr. It's obviously well-documented. There are other weapons there to keep, uh, keep defenses honest. Uh, but this offense is going to be in shootouts all season long. We talked about it a little bit last week with yep. the quarterbacks. Is that this is a division they're going to face each other uh, six times basically, and all of those games are going to be high-scoring affairs because all of the offenses are elite. Uh, oh yeah, plus it also helps that the Raiders, de- uh, their Raiders defense, and also the Raiders running game are both inept. At five, I match with the league uh, ADPs in Stefan Diggs of Buffalo. He's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Team also doesn't like to run the ball any more than they have to, although the addition this year of James Cook may change that up a little bit. But Diggs has always been a target hog going back to his days here in Minnesota. Uh, Here's hoping that uh, Mr. Allen finally stops looking at Dawson Knox inside the five and starts peppering Diggs inside there as well. He was a very effective red zone receiver when he was with Minnesota. So again, that might be the thing that leads people to think that, well, maybe Knox won't get quite as many touchdowns this year if Diggs is getting some of those too. And at number six, we actually match. I've got Mike Evans as well. Nice. Evans has played eight seasons and he has eight 1,000 plus yard receiving seasons in the books to his credit. He also has had his most touchdown forward seasons the last two years with Tom Brady throwing him the ball. Uh, Tampa Bay is currently looking at starting third stringers all along their offensive line. So expect them to completely abandon the running game entirely this year. Let's just hope that Brady gets a second and a half to release the ball before he's swarmed by defenders. Yeah, otherwise Fournette could catch 200 balls. He might. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Take us through 7 through 10. Uh, 7, 8, 9. 7, eight, nine. We'll do that. Uh, 7, I've got a guy... Uh, who I think went one pick before me in the ADP, and that's Debo Samuel. Uh, I'm personally not totally sold on Trey Lance as a legit NFL quarterback yet, but Debo did manage 1,400 receiving yards with the inept Jimmy Garoppolo under center. So, yeah, on top of that, he also became an absolute psycho carrying the ball out of the backfield, completely redefining his role on this team. Now, I'm not expecting him to be used nearly as much in the running game this year, but you know, even if his running numbers take a sizable dip, any running numbers that he adds on to that is only going to make him even more valuable. Uh, number eight, I've got a guy who didn't make the ADP top 12, and it's a personal preference for me, I think, and that's Deontay Johnson at Pittsburgh. The quarterback situation there is borderline putrid, but was it really that much worse with the dilapidated course of Ben Roethlisberger the last year and a half? I don't really think so. You know, Johnson has averaged 165 targets per year over the last two seasons with noodle arm Ben throwing him the ball. Uh, Mitch Mitch Trubisky and uh, Kenny Pickett and those guys, they're not that much worse than what they were trotting out there to throw to him before. He also is showing chemistry with rookie Kenny Pickett already in in camp and also in the preseason game. So I think Deontay is still going to be good at number eight. At number nine, I've got C.D. Lamb. 
We talked a little bit already about Amari Cooper, Cedric Wilson being gone. Michael Gallup's going to miss the first part of the season. Lamb's going to need to step up his consistency. He struggled when he was forced to be the leading receiver last year. He was covered a lot, and he just didn't want to break away from that. But the talent's there. You just really got to hope in Lamb's case, if you're targeting him as your wide receiver one, that Jalen Tolbert and Dalton Schultz can keep defenses honest, well, at least until Michael Gallup returns. Okay. So, at number seven, I also have Debo Samuel. And, two matches in a row. Yeah. Um, the reason I have Debo at seven is because of his rushing yards. And you're like, what? That's counterintuitive. Why would you have him down lower because of his rushing yards? There's a risk of injury no matter who you are in this game, right? Mm-hmm. But a wide receiver running the ball as much as how they use Debo, to me that just sounds like that's – I mean, you don't expect, we don't expect 16 games from any running backs, right? Well, and, and this isn't Candlestick Park, but San Francisco is still known for having horrible field. Right. So that's – I mean, and we're splitting hairs, the difference between six and seven or five and seven, right? But that is, yeah. that is why I wanted him – I wanted to make a statement by having him outside of my top six. I still think the other six are better than him or safer than him. Um, that's my biggest concern is the amount of risk that he has is why I push him down in the second half of the top 12. Um, at eight – I have C.D. Lamb, so I've got him one spot higher than you, and I had a hard time putting him there. It's like he's got to be a top-10 wide receiver, right? Um, But I don't feel good about it based off of last year's play. So I'm concerned with that one. That's one I could have possibly saw pushed down a little bit further. At number nine, I have somebody you haven't mentioned yet. I'm curious. I don't think he's the one that's going to fall out of your top 12. But it's another guy that that there's just – I didn't like when the trade went down. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to – I mean, look, Tua can throw all the great-looking long passes in, you know, preseason in practice as he wants, and Tyreek can run under him. I still just – I have questions. I've got concerns. And if you have a concern about Tyreek Hill, that, puts, that pushes him down to nine. Well, it's interesting you bring him up at nine because Tyreek Hill did indeed fall all the way to my number 10. Uh, despite what Hill is saying to the contrary – Tua Tungo-Vailoa is a much worse quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Fortunately, Hill doesn't need to survive on just 50-yard passes all game. Uh, Tua can throw him a quick screen, and Tyree can turn that into a 70-yard TD reception thanks to his speed and elusiveness. So his value doesn't go down completely being on a uh, batter. That's a a word that I've just made up for you. Uh, On a less enjoyable offensive situation compared to KC's. But his volume will definitely see a decrease as Jalen Waddell has already established himself as an elite possession option in his own right and also an elite option in the red zone. Uh, But you know what? Hill did share touches with Travis Kelsey and KC, so we know that he does indeed have the sharing gene in him. Yeah. And you know what? (laughs) We didn't didn't even talk about it when we were doing our tight ends. Mike Gusecki was top 12. He didn't make either of our top 12. I mean, that's part of the reason why. You've got Hill there now, and you've got Waddle. So, oh, they added a couple other guys, too, to that uh, receiving yeah. car, if I remember right. So, okay. They got Cedric Wilson there, actually. Right. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. That's okay. Number 11, I've got Keenan Allen of the Chargers. Allen has topped 140 targets and 100 receptions in each of the last five seasons. He also has 1,000 receiving yards in each of those five years, except for the injury shortened 2020. Now, with the top quarterback in the game on his team throwing him the ball, 
and a couple other legit pass-catching options to free up space for him in uh, Austin Eckler and Mike Williams, and, and to a lesser degree, Josh Palmer, who's looking really, really good this preseason. I, I feel Ellen has at least one more 100-catch, 1,000-yard, six-touchdown floor season in him, and that's kind of what you want if you're like waiting to grab your wide receiver one till like early third round. It's typically where you'd find Keenan Allen. And at number 12, I've got a guy. This was, this was a tough call for me. I thought about Pittman. I thought about a lot of guys here. I thought about A.J. Brown. Ultimately, I went with Terry McLaurin out of Washington. McLaurin has over 3,100 career receiving yards over his first three seasons, despite having an absolutely abhorrent collection of passers throwing him the football. Now, you could argue that Carson Wentz isn't that much better, but frankly, you'd be wrong. He is easily the most talented quarterback that McLaurin has ever seen in his brief NFL career. Uh, if Terry McLaurin can get over 1,000 yards receiving from the guys he's dealt with, he should easily have a 1,200-yard season, probably six or seven touchdowns there. Again, I'd feel better with him as my wide receiver two than wide receiver one, but again, at this point, it's, it's kind of pushing up daisies between him and Michael Pittman and guys like that. Gotcha. So at number 10... I have a duo. It's the only duo to make the top 12. And that is not Jalen Waddle. That is T. Higgins. Um, I have him at 10. Could have put him all the way down to 12. I looked at a couple of different factors and I said, of the other three guys I have at 10, 11, 12, I pushed him towards the top because I think he's got the most upside. Um, that's going to be a prolific looking offense, honestly, in Cincinnati. The worst thing you could say that he's got going for him is possibly some bad weather games. Mm -hmm. um, at 11, I've got Keenan Allen. We have a match on that. Uh, Keenan Allen reminds me a lot of Mike Evans, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. Evans is a great value. I think Allen's a great value also in drafts. Um, and then at 12, what it came down to, <coughs> here are the handful of people that, or a little less than a handful, of guys that I considered. Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore. Actually, we'll make it a full <laughs> handful. Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, Terry McLaurin, and A.J. Brown. That's about the same five I was looking at there. And of those five, one has something that the others don't. And that's a team investing an awful lot to get them into their jersey. So I settled on A.J. Brown at 12. I will say this. I haven't drafted A.J. Brown in a single league. Um, I, there's a little risk associated with that. I don't like it necessarily. like the player. Have to wonder how he's going to impact Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith's going to impact him. I already talked about how I think he impacts Goddard. And then you have to have Jalen Hurts improve on top of everything else. But I still I settled on him at 12. I love McLaurin, the McLaurin call, honestly. Um, I just I don't know how much we can trust Carson Wentz at this time. How broken is Carson Wentz? And the answer is, you know what? He could be pretty damn broken and still be the best quarterback he's ever had. Well, I, I could argue that Carson Wentz is a better passing quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Yeah, you could, absolutely. Um, but decision-making and all that kind of stuff and whatever. Oh, again, uh, it's a situation where I think Carson Wentz is a much better fantasy quarterback than real quarterback at this point. Yep. Um, Michael Pittman, I love. I love that Matt Ryan is there. But I think we're seeing him at the top of his value when he's in that 11, 12, 13 range, right? There's really exactly. And I, people aren't going to like this, but uh, you have to really be concerned in that offense that – rookie Alec Pierce is going to steal some of Michael Pittman's thunder. I, I really like Pierce a lot this year. Uh, he was one of my 
like rookie pick guys that I had to get in all of my rookie drafts. And how many catches is Naeem Hines going to have this year? I mean, there's yep. only so many catches to go around. Um, DJ Moore. I mean, people love to hate on Baker, but DJ Moore is arguably going to have the best quarterback he's had in his career. Exactly. His biggest knock has always been that he doesn't score touchdowns. Right. And again, if, if you're counting on your wide receiver one and you look at his career touchdown path and it's like four touchdowns, four touchdowns, six touchdowns, four touchdowns, that's not a strong strategy, one would think. And now you had Deontay Johnson off high at eight. Number eight, yes. I, I can see the I see the logic for it. I see the logic to get him into the top 12 somewhere. Maybe I'm just underestimating the quarterbacks there and, and the offense in general. I'm just, I'm all out on Pittsburgh. I, I don't. Well, like, again, I, I'm doing this a lot based on assuming that it's going to be Trubisky to start the year and at some point Pickett's going to take over. Uh, looking back at Trubisky's days in Chicago, he always had one wide receiver, at least one solid wide receiver that produced thousand yard season, uh, nine or 10 touchdowns. And I think that he can do that again here. And of the three that are going to be starting for Pittsburgh most of the time, Johnson's certainly the most reliable. Yeah, I think you're talking about Allen Robinson, basically. Um, uh, yes. I just see a big difference between Allen Robinson and Deontay Johnson. Um, yeah, Johnson's a more reliable receiver. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Al Robinson's got the more reliable hands, which has helped him <laughs> with somebody like Trubisky. But anyway, it, we're, we're splitting hairs. So my top 12, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, Mike Evans, rounding out the top 12 with Debo, Lamb, Hill, Higgins, Allen, and A.J. Brown. And for my, tw- my, twop, my top 12 receivers, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Mike Evans, Debo, Deontay Johnson, C.D. Lamb, Tyree Kill, Keenan Allen, and Terry F1 McLaurin. There you go. So there you have it. You now have our top 12, a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end based on our look versus ADP. Exactly. So we're close to being longer than what we normally should be. So let's, we start out talking about the auction draft. Let's talk a little more about auction drafts in general. You touched on something that I think is important. You call it the cold room, I think, right? Yes. You also have to understand that supply and demand matters too, right? So, yes. So you, you may see like the top eight wide receivers go off the board, and, and maybe let's say that you know they go anywhere from 50 to $35. And then you've got somebody that's like a top 20 to 25 wide receiver, and they go for as much as the lower – top wide receivers did and that's because now you have a you have FOMO right fear yep. of missing out and that's going to drive the price up of some, so you if there's a there's a slight art to knowing when to go in and get your guy that you want um, David Dory in our draft was trying to bid up Cooper Cup he won Cooper <coughs> Cup do you want know how much he won Cooper Cup for $70 half of $70 in a $200 budget league, he got Cooper Cup for $35. He was not happy about it when he won Cooper Cup. Then all of a sudden, when he starts seeing the prices everybody else is going for, I'm like, dude, you got a bargain. He's like, yeah, I think I did. Yep. So that's Again, a- it, it, you, you can – drafters doing auctions, either for the first time or veterans, at the end of your auction this year, or if you do multiple auctions, just take a look at the, at the bids. And, and look at how they how they 
maneuvered, you will see this is not just a one-off situation. This is a trend. This will happen in every single auction room you're in. The players that go early on will look like values once you start seeing what desperate people pay for lesser players as the auction progresses. Oh, yeah, and, the, and the end of a tier, you're going to pay. Big time. End of a tier, you're definitely going to pay. Um, Aaron Rodgers, remember I, I said I threw out um, Deshaun Watson early, mm-hmm. right? My goal was to then later target a quarterback that had a late buy, i.e. later than week 11. And while I'm not a huge Aaron Rodgers fan, he's still going to get his, right? Yeah. He fits what I wanted to do. Um, and he wound up costing me, ready, $2. <laughs> it's I mean, a great steal there. That's, that's zero quarterback at its best. Yep. Um, but quarterbacks didn't go for all that much in our draft anyway, honestly. I think Lamar Jackson went for 10. Um, you're looking at Josh Allen did go for the most, and he went for, let's see what it was, um, $23. Well, again, just to clarify for our listeners, this was a one-quarterback draft, not, not a super flex, right? Correct. One-quarterback draft, $200 budget. Yeah, so obviously things change up a little bit when you're dealing with two quarterbacks. Uh, super flex-type formats, obviously quarterbacks tend to have slightly more value. But, again, even in that format, one can get a expensive first quarterback and then wait and then bid just pennies on the dollar for your second quarterback. Yep. Unless you're in an auction draft against Brian Johnson. There you go. And Justin, <laughs> Herber, Justin Herbert went for 15. Um, you're, let's see, Joe Burrow. There's a couple of names that people will know. Joey Burrow went for 5 bucks. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I got three in with A-Rod and Watson. Um, we'll see. Watson comes back and he's hot for the, the end of the year. That could help me. Who knows? Um, well, and here's, a, here's a question for you from an auction standpoint, obviously. Uh, let's let's put the uh, personal proclivities aside uh, regarding Watson's behavior. Yep. Uh, a guy like Deshaun Watson, or e- even a guy like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, going to miss half the season. Uh, how much of your uh, cap are you willing to devote to those guys in an auction format? It's all going to be determined by the value of it, right? And mm-hmm. I think that it depends on like when you throw DeAndre out, and the same with Watson. Um, if you throw Watson out at the very end when people only have like six, seven dollars left and they only have one spot to fill, he's going to cost you more possibly, right? Yeah. So, because some people do, they wind up where they've got four, five, six dollars left and they only got one or two spots left. So, instead of paying a dollar for the guys, they're paying three and four dollars sometimes just to get their guy. So, you throw him out earlier, I think, especially how I did it really early. And there was like, oh shit, you know? And I was like, well, somebody spends two dollars, then fine, they spend two dollars on him. Um, I'll give you another example. We got into where a lot of the wide receivers were coming off the board. I went heavy on CMC and Swift to start my draft. Okay, I love I love Swift this year, particularly in PPR formats. I spent fifty nine, which we already know. I probably bumped my own damn bid up probably at least ten bucks on <laughs> on McCaffrey, and I spent forty on Swift. Okay, Cook went for the same price as Swift did, and not surprisingly, in redraft draft formats. Uh, Cook is sliding into that 7-8 range, too, yep. right around the pick where you probably want to use it for a Swift. Yep. 
I wanted Barkley. I nominated Barkley, I believe, but he wound up going higher and for more money than I thought. I was like, okay, so I'm in the one league where somebody actually likes Barkley. Mm-hmm. Um, he went for $35. And I, yeah, I don't know why I got out on him at that point. Maybe I still had some shock from my CMC bid for all I know. Um, well, and for, for our listeners, if they go out to the obviously all the prices that you guys paid for these guys, they're listed on the, uh, on the rosters charts there, right? Yes, they should be. Um, so to answer your question, I get Mike Evans at $29 as my top wide receiver, which I thought was a good price comparative to the other top guys, right? Yes. And I know I've got to get some cheaper wide receivers because of what I spent for my, my two running backs. So as the draft goes on, I'm shocked that nobody has dropped Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy out. Of the two, I have a preference for Sutton. I think he has the chance to be a top 12 wide receiver this year, honestly. He's somebody Mm -hmm. I could have included in my handful. But if I had to, I would not sneeze at taking Jerry Judy. Some people actually have Judy higher than Sutton. I don't. But they're close. Well, it gets to the point where I'm hoping that somebody nominates Sutton before, you know, first, so that I have a shot at both of them, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, before it got to me and I could nominate him, Somebody non-made Jerry Judy. So I've got to go in. I don't want a chance, and I don't have much money at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to risk not being able to land Cortland because, um, you know, I missed out on Judy type thing. And there's a good chance that he's going to go for more than what Judy went for anyway, right? Why can't, yeah. I, why can't I find Sutton? Let's see. There he is. Okay, because I spelled his name wrong. He's got a, he's got a U in his name. Um, Cortland Sutton went for $26 after Judy was well off the board. Okay. Okay. For reference to let these uh, people listening know, uh, Cortland Sutton went for 26. You just said, yep. And how much did Cooper cup go for? 35. There's your, there's your steal of the draft right there. Yes, exactly. I, I like Cortland Sutton too, but I like Cooper cup a hell of a lot more than $9 more than Cortland Sutton. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so Sutton goes 26. $3 from, from being Mike Evans, basically, right? Who I also like a lot more than Cortland Sutton. <laughs> right. I got Jerry Judy for $10. Probably wow. could have had him for 8 but somebody looked like they kind of liked him like I did, and I had to take him from 9 to 10 I, I will say this, too. I like Judy a lot more now that Tim Patrick is out for the year. Yes. So that leads me to this. I then say... I need another strong third wide receiver, right? Yes. And I wind up, I believe I'm the one that nominated him. Um, if not, I jumped in as soon as he was nominated. DeAndre Hopkins. I got DeAndre Hopkins for $6. I was hoping to get him for a little cheaper. But $6. That's not bad. It is you're getting bad. you're getting 10 games potentially out of him. Exactly. So my my third wide receiver currently is Jacoby Myers that I got for $3. I think he's being criminally underrated this year. If he had had six or seven touchdowns last year, where would people be drafting him this year? Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's the big thing with Myers is that he's always going to be known as the guy who finally got his first touchdown last season after so many years in the ballgame. And he's always been an effective PPR receiver. He usually ends up with a, a fair amount of catches, a fair amount of yardage. But again, yeah. That, that offense in general, that passing offense, has always been maligned, at least since Brady's left. Uh, there's all, even when Brady was there, the wide receivers outside of Randy Moss and Julian Edelman 
were always kind of like second fiddle aspects after the fact. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they kind of go under the radar. I think Myers is a great uh, third receiver. And, again, you can, you can get him in drafts really, really late. And you can get them in auctions again for like just a couple bucks. So it's yeah. kind of a nice little roster filler, if nothing else. Now, there was another guy I had my eye on, and I really thought I'd get him cheaper than what I did. But again, I knew I couldn't really afford to not get him. Um, and that was Kadarius Tony. I got him for eight bucks. So he's kind of like sitting in my flex right now. So now think about this when, when Hopkins comes back, he goes up into the top three with Evans, Judy, and Hopkins. That's a solid three. Now, at my flex position, I'm looking at Tony and I'm looking at Myers. I'm looking at Gainwell. I'm looking at um, James Robinson. All of a sudden, that makes that position that much more enticing. Yeah, well, I, I think we talked about some really good sleepers in that segment there, too. It, uh, again, uh, the, perhaps the worst thing you can do in an auction, though, is get into that spot where you've got all this money and no one left to bid on. Yes. So, again, it's not, it, it's not good to take your extra. You don't get to take your extra money home unless your rules say you can add it onto your fab budget. Most leagues don't have that as a rule. I kind of like that as a rule idea, but uh, again, if you don't get to take that with you into the into the regular season, it's like keeping that spend, spend your money. It's like, <laughs> it's like keeping that timeout that the coach never uses and they lose, right? Exactly. Um, the other thing that you could look at this like this: if Jacoby Myers was tight end eligible, where would he rank among tight ends? Three. Okay. And Four if, maybe. <laughs> and if and if Kyle Pitts was a wide receiver, where would he rank? He'd be a top 12 wide receiver easily. So guess what? Kyle Pitts is in my tight end spot. Yes. So now if you look at it as Evans, Judy, Pitts, Jacoby fitting in as a tight end, all of a sudden it makes sense. That's roster composition that people need to be able to look at and understand. Bingo. All right. Um, Another flyer I took, Kyle Fuller for a buck at the end of the draft. And Josh Palmer would have been a $1 play, um, but I had $3 left because – I didn't need to spend it at one point, so that's why I wound up having two extra bucks. But I got Josh Palmer as an end-of-bench guy. If something were to happen to Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, he fills in for both those guys, and he'll, he'll pay off. You said Kyle Fuller. I believe he meant Will Fuller, right? I did mean Will Fuller. Yes, I did. Okay. just wanted to make sure that there isn't a Kyle Fuller that I should be adding to my sleeper list I don't know about. No, Kyle Fuller still doesn't like me. I'm the one that broke the news <laughs> that he was going from KC to Washington when he didn't even know it, so. <laughs> He's always got a special place in my head, I guess. Anyway, exactly. anything else you want to add about the old, the whole auction aspect of things? No, other than, like I said, reminding our listeners to go to thehuddle.com and uh, check out the prices that these guys go for and uh, use use that as a lead for when you guys go to your auction drafts this year and hopefully get some steals. That's, that's what it's all about. But don't be afraid to get your guy, right? Mm-hmm. what's a dollar or two, but you have to know that if you overspend for somebody, you have to know you have those, that pocket of guys that you, you like more than somebody else does that you can get for a relatively decent price. Yes. And if you play the game of trying to bid players up, you better be willing to take <laughs> your medicine because I've had it happen. I actually did this many years ago. I tried to bid up Priest Holmes and Sean Alexander, I think it was. And I got stuck with both of them. Or maybe it was Priest and LT. One of the two. One of those, two of those three combos. And I went up winning the league by accident. Because I wasn't, I didn't mean to catch either one of them for my team. I was trying to bid them up. So sometimes it works out well for you. Sometimes it doesn't. And don't be afraid to drop a player on someone too. If you know someone really likes a player. Yep. And you know they're going to spend that extra dollar. Make them pay that extra dollar. 
and if you know you're waiting on tight on quarterbacks, nominate quarterbacks. Let let people spend that money on Josh Allen and and the Herberts of the world and stuff like that, so that you can kind of position yourself to be in a little more charge. Well, sir, until next week, um, I think we just need to tell people if they have any questions, by all means. Reach out to Harley on Twitter at Nuclear Harley. Can reach out to me at Steve Gallo NFL. And as Harley said it multiple times already, um, be sure if you're not a member at the Huddle, go ahead and sign up. Lots of good stuff there for you from auction values to redraft values, um, this, that, and the other. Everything you can use to hopefully dominate your league. And until next week, get blitz responsibly. Cheers. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.